0: My wife Nancy is a phenomenal teacher, and she's uh, glad um, to be given the word today. Uh, before I knew that I would be gone, I was working on a message based on one of the things we have in the in the in the bags. Uh, if you write down something that you want us to teach on, we'll do that. Um, and so I was working on a message: Why do bad things happen to good people? Um, and so Nancy has uh, somewhere along that line, or not even close, or exactly? Yeah, okay. Um, So she has a message called, What Did I Do to Deserve This? I'm sure it's a question you've thought before at times, but she wants to bring a perspective from the Word. So please welcome her in the Spirit of God. Well, I have to admit, I am actually pretty excited to give this message um, because it's a question that I have asked myself. What did I do to deserve this? Why is God against me in this? And uh, I also really like that Brad instituted this, if you have something you'd like us to preach on, write it down and put it in, because it certainly makes it easier as you're trying to decide what, what does God want me to preach about. And you can go to a card and say, ooh, I like this one. Let's see what the Bible has to say about this. You have to know that everybody questions, why does this happen? There are so many times and so many people in my life who have said to me, why do good things? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does God allow this to happen? I never have an answer for that. And at times when I have asked that same question, I've often been given the answer, well, go study the book of Job. How many of you know that when you're struggling or going through trials, the last thing you want to do is study the book of Job? I've tried in some of those times, but it's not an encouraging book if you're in the midst of struggles, and yet it probably should be. What kinds of things does God allow to happen? Well, in my life, I've questioned everything from Horrible circumstances to why did I just trip over that stone and gash my foot open? I ask the difficult questions and I ask some of the ridiculous and mundane. But all of it I think, God, you're in control of everything. Why did that have to happen? Well, as I looked at this question, God told me, to go study the book of Job. So that's where we're going to be today. I want to give you a short gist of the book of Job because when I study the book of Job, I get lost in the conversations back and forth between his friends and Job. They're long. They're, you know, um, when I was doing a little research on it, it was it said that it's a it's an eloquent book of poetry. I just think it's a bunch of guys fighting back and forth who say a lot of words. So I wanted to break it down to, what is the gist of the book of Job? It starts off talking about a righteous man who is upright and who loved God. And that's important because the book of Job starts with a man who was following God. It's not talking about bad things that happen to non-Christians or non-believers. It's talking about bad things that happen to believers. Awful things happened to him. And then he had some friends who came along to encourage him. And their encouragement basically said, this is obviously all your fault. You're in sin. You need to confess something. So do it. And Job's response was, well, tell me what I've done then. I've searched my heart. I don't find sin, what do I need to confess? And his friends could, could not come up with anything. So why did Job suffer such unimaginable tra- tragedy and circumstance? Well, let's take a look at it. I'm going to paraphrase in Job 1, verses 14 through 19 to give you an idea of how bad of a day Job had. In the span of about five minutes, He lost everything. He lived in a time where his wealth was determined by his livestock and his possessions. And he had a servant who came to him and said, all the cattle are gone and all your servants who are watching over them. And while that servant was talking, another came forward and said, all the camels are gone. And while he was talking, another came forward and said, All the donkeys, all the livestock, everything, all your servants watching over them, they're all gone. And while he was talking, the final guy came along and said, your house just collapsed and all of your children are dead. Five minutes. He lost all of his wealth, all of his children. It was a bad day. How do you respond to something like that? In Job 1, verse 20, it says, Then Job arose, tore his robe and shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. How do you lose everything and fall to your knees in worship? How do you say, blessed is the name of the Lord at a time when your entire world has completely collapsed? Isn't that what we're asked to do as Christians? But how do we do that? Many of us would be saying, God, why me? What did I do? Let's take a look at how this whole day started. And it gives us an interesting perspective on the life of Job. In Job 1, 1, verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Isn't it interesting that in this particular verse, we literally see God and Satan are just having a conversation. It's not a big warfare. It's not antagonistic. It's just that they're having a conversation. Satan came before God, and God says to him, where'd you come from? Satan answered the Lord, saying, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. How did this bad day for Job start? It started with a conversation between God and Satan where God initiates and says, Hey, have you thought about Job? You can do anything you want to him as long as you don't touch his person. And he will not curse me. God was that confident in Job. That Job did not follow God because of what God had done for him, but that Job followed God because of who God was. That was the confidence that God had in Job. And as horrible as that day was for Job, he did exactly what God expected him to do. He lost everything and he fell and worshipped. And he blessed the name of the Lord. But Satan wasn't done with Job. So the next day, They had a similar conversation in Job 2, verse 3 and 6, 3 through 6. Satan is back before God, and the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him, to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Job was struck with sores from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. His health was taken away from him. What was his response? Well, I like that in this we actually hear from his wife first. What was his wife's response? Job 2, verse 9, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Okay, that's a loving wife. And Job says to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Then we go on in Job to see that his friends come and they have conversations back and forth, and they are convinced that he has done something wrong. Nobody endures the kinds of things that Job has had to endure without it being Job's fault. And yet Job says, I've searched myself. I don't find sin. If I did, I would confess it. If you know of a sin in my life, tell me, and I'll confess that. And yet none of them could come up with a sin. Job's not convinced that it is because of sin. He sees something bigger at work. In Job 9, verse 32, he says, For he, speaking of God, is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, that we should go to court together. What does that mean? Job understood he didn't have the right to question God and what God was doing. Job was a man God is the God of the universe. And Job understood that he doesn't get to go to court and argue his case and plead his case before a holy God. He simply has to take what God gives him. Do we worship God because of what he does for us or because of who he is? Job also recognized that he didn't have the right to question the thoughts and the intentions of God. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Sometimes we quote that verse or we hear that verse, when we don't understand things that are happening, but do we really take to heart the meaning of those verses? We do not know what it will take for us to become like God, and yet His purpose in our life is to make us more like Him, to take us from glory to glory to glory, to transform us into the image of Christ and to perfect us we don't know what that will take, but God does. Do we trust him enough to know that his thoughts and his ways are far beyond anything we can understand? Job goes on in verse in chapter 9, verse 33, and said, Nor is there any mediator between us, between he and God. There's no mediator who may lay his hand on us both. Who is our mediator? Jesus. Job lived in a time before Jesus, and there was no mediator between he and God, and he understood that before Christ ever walked the earth. He understood that he needed something to bridge the gap between he as a man and God. He says to his friends, there is no mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The book of Job is a powerful story of, I believe, every believer's life. And there's a couple of Significant truths that I think we need to walk away from this book really understanding. First of all, I believe we have to know God's character. In all things, at all times, God is good and God is just. Regardless of the circumstances or the happenings in our lives, God's character remains constant. Psalm 34.8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. The second thing we need to see is that Satan is our enemy. And he tries continuously to discredit God in our eyes. It's not just that he wants to pull us away from God. It is that he wants to discredit God. He wants to get us to believe that God is not for us. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But there is a truth that I believe is far greater than either of these two, as big as they are. I have to say that as many struggles as I have faced in my life, and I have not faced every imaginable struggle, but I have faced my share as all of us do. I have many unanswered questions about why things happened the way that they did, and I have asked God on more than one occasion, Why? Why me? But this time when I decided to take on this topic, I really spent this past week in prayer and in meditation and in worship, and I wanted an answer. I wanted an answer because I feel that that question is asked so often, and I don't have a good answer to give believers or non-believers. Maybe many of you already have caught this answer, but it's taken me a few years in my Christian walk to really give God the freedom to say to me why sad things happen. It was already given away in one of the verses that I read today, and maybe you caught it. But it gives away the heart of Job, and it makes him unlike his friends or his wife or even me. I believe it's the secret to loving God and knowing the answer to the question, what did I do to deserve this? So what is the answer? Seems like it must be simple if we already could figure it out. I would challenge us to look at the reverse question. What did I do to deserve the good things in my life? What did I do to deserve eternal life? Absolutely nothing. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I deserve death. I am a sinner who stands in front of a holy God and I deserve death. Yet I have a mediator in Christ Jesus who died on my behalf. He took my punishment. I did nothing to deserve the goodness and the riches that God has bestowed on me as a child of God. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, By grace you have been saved through faith that not, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Let's go back to Job chapter 2 verse 10. And when he responded to his wife in the midst of that little verse, he said, shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? Do we have the right to say, I want all the riches and the blessings and the eternal life and the great things that God bestows upon my life, but I am not willing to walk through the struggles that He feels will transform me to the image that He desires me to be. I did nothing to earn the good. I do nothing to earn the bad. Unless there is sin in my life, and God will allow us to suffer the consequences of our sin. If we are in sin... We need to examine ourselves and confess that sin. But if you can honestly stand before a holy God and say, Lord, I don't know why this is happening in my life, but I will worship you because of who you are. We don't understand his ways. We didn't do things to deserve the bad things that happen, but they happen. But on the flip side, we did not do anything to deserve the good that happens. It is by the hand of God that we are given all the good and all the bad. And we don't get to say, God, I'll take the good but not the bad. We don't know what He wants to accomplish in our lives. All we can do is allow Him to have free reign and to do what it is that He desires to do to make us more like Him. There's a song that talks about God weaving a tapestry, and I talked about it a little bit on Wednesday night, but um, the gist of the song is that we often see the mess, and yet God sees a beautiful tapestry that He is weaving. I have recently taken up cross-stitching again after 28 years, 25 years of not doing it. It's a lot harder when you're 50 than it was when you were 25, but that's all right. But I remember as I'm starting this, I'm looking at the back of the tapestry of the needlepoint and looking at all the crisscrossing mess that exists. And I remember once taking a class and this woman said, "You know, I've been needlepointing for 50 years and she said, "I can do the front with no problem. What I do now is I try to make the back look as good as the front." Really? If you've ever done any kind of stitching, that's ridiculous. So she pulls out the stitching that she did that she had framed on the front and the back. Because the back was as beautiful as the front. Now, I'd like to say that's when I stopped stitching because I realized there's no way I'm getting to that point. Um, But I kept at it. And now every time that I start on one of these stitchings, I think to myself, maybe you should make the back look, heck no, I'm not doing that. There's no way. But I think of it in terms of my life. I tend to focus on the back of the stitching and the mess and the hardships and the trials and the things that God has asked me to endure that I don't think were fair. And I forget that He is weaving a beautiful tapestry. But no tapestry can be woven without the good and the bad. We have to know that God is good. All the time. Everything He brings into our life is meant for our benefit. All the good. All the bad. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Lean not on your own understanding. We don't even know what is good and what is not. Sometimes things that we think are trials and struggles that we don't deserve are God's hand of blessing that maybe we don't see for years later. I can give you a very personal example of that. Many of you know that our kids are adopted, and when we first found out that we wouldn't have natural children, I was not pleased with God. In fact, I went through a time of being very angry. But I have two of the most precious people in my life that I would not change for anything in the world. They're my children. They were brought by God's hand. There is no question. And yet there's still this tiny little piece of me that says, but it's still unfair. And yet it's not at all and I look at where I am at right now in my life, I'm doing what I love. I run a center that works with kids with dyslexia. I get to live in a world of academics and brain studies, and I love that stuff. I would never do it if Joshua were not my son with dyslexia. I had no idea 25 years ago that the reason God put things in my life that I thought were struggles were to give me the opportunity to do beyond what I could imagine and love doing in my life. I wouldn't be here doing it if I didn't have a son with dyslexia. We don't know when we go through things if they are... Good or bad? Because we don't know the final tapestry. We judge in our own understanding, and yet our ways can't begin to compare with God's ways. Many people have this Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 as their life verse, and yet do we trust in the Lord with all our heart, and lean not on our own understanding. Do we accept all of it, the good and the bad, and trust that God is truly directing our path? Job is a book that helps us to understand what God is looking for in the heart of every believer. That we will accept good, and we will accept adversity. And Job 13.15 says, Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. That's the place God wants us to be. That everything in our life is open to His hand and His direction. We didn't do anything to deserve bad things to happen. But we didn't do anything to deserve the good things either. If we think that we have works, that we can gain God's understanding or God's favor through works, we are under the law. And you can never fulfill the law. But if we understand that it is not by anything that we do, that it is by grace that we are saved, it is a gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast, then we have the ability to take the good and the bad and to know that God is on our side. He is good. He is faithful all the time. We do not live by works. We live by grace. We are saved by the blood of Jesus. He is our mediator between God and man. I want to end with Psalm 8, verse 3 through 7. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth.